Time to Shift is a podcast that aims to inform on energy and climate-related affairs with the intent to contribute to a low-carbon economy. I am Laure. In this episode, we will talk about the first volume of the sixth assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, also known as the IPCC. The report came out in August 2021, a few months ahead of the COP26 that will be held in Glasgow. Representing three years of work from 234 authors across 66 different countries, this volume consolidates findings from more than 14,000 scientific publications. According to Valérie Masson-Delmotte, co-chair of the IPCC's Working Group 1, this report is a reality check. We now have a much clearer picture of the past, present and future climate, which is essential for understanding where we're headed, what can be done and how we can prepare. Let us now dive into the details of the report. We will present its main points and conclusions and the next steps outlined by this tedious work of reflection and analysis. Let's start by refreshing our memories of what the IPCC is. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was created in 1988 by the United Nations Environment Programme and the World Meteorological Organization at the request of the G7. The objective was to provide governments at all levels with scientific information that they could use to develop climate policies. The IPCC is an organization of governments that are members of the United Nations, currently counting 195 nations. The IPCC is not a scientific research laboratory. Rather, it performs thorough reviews of scientific papers to provide a comprehensive summary of what is known about the drivers of climate change, its impacts and future risks, and how adaptation and mitigation can reduce those risks. To date, all official IPCC publications have been approved by every single member nation, including, for example, the United States and Saudi Arabia. It is therefore quite difficult to question the credibility of the IPCC and its analysis. The IPCC is organized into three working groups, each focusing on the specific aspect of climate change. Working Group 1 aims to understand the physics underpinning our climate system and climate change. This working group published the first part of the sixth assessment report that we will discuss today, entitled Climate Change 2021, the physical science basis. Working Group 2 focuses on evaluating the consequences of climate change, our vulnerabilities to it, and how we can adapt to its consequences. And finally, Working Group 3 analyzes climate mitigation strategies. Working Groups 2 and 3 will publish their reports in 2022. Altogether, with the first part that we will cover today, these three reports will make up the IPCC's sixth assessment report. The report from Working Group 1, which came out in early August 2021, consists of a nearly 4,000-page report, including a 42-page summary for policymakers. Luckily for us, a group of motivated shifter volunteers decided to review and summarize the latter, which will serve as the basis for this episode. Without much surprise, the latest IPCC report is the bearer of pretty bad news. Our scientific knowledge and methodologies to assess the impacts of global warming have improved since the fifth assessment report was published in 2014. This allows us to better understand some irreversible phenomena caused by climate change, as well as many other impacts that can still be curbed by our actions today and in the years to come. 
This episode will serve as a quick guide to get you up to speed on the main conclusions of this historic and ever more relevant report. Hold on and sit tight, we're in for a rough ride. Let's start with the most important highlight from this report. The influence that humans have on climate change is undeniable. Through emitting greenhouse gases, humanity has caused rapid and widespread changes to the atmosphere, the oceans, the cryosphere, which is the ice on Earth, and the biosphere. In other words, all living things. Among the many greenhouse gases we emit, the most important ones are carbon dioxide, also known as CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide. A majority of the greenhouse gases we emit are absorbed by carbon sinks in the oceans and on landmass, roughly 56%. The remaining 44% accumulate in the atmosphere, increasing their concentrations. As a result, from 1750 to 2019, the concentration of CO2 increased by 46%, that of methane by 133%, and that of nitrous oxide by 23%. The magnitude of changes in concentration levels in the atmosphere over this period is greater than the natural variations observed on Earth over the last 800,000 years, at least. The CO2 concentration observed today is the highest observed in at least the last 2 million years. This increase in greenhouse gas concentrations is what causes the accumulation of heat on the surface of the Earth. This phenomenon is what we call global warming. This heat is not evenly distributed on Earth. 91% ends up in ocean, 5% on continents, 3% in the cryosphere, and only 1% in the atmosphere. 1%. This tiny number is responsible for the warming of the atmosphere which we have observed since the Industrial Revolution began in the early 19th century. The average temperature in the atmosphere over the last 10 years is about 1.1 degrees, warmer than it was in pre-industrial times. This atmospheric warming is again not homogeneous and is greater above continents at about 1.6 degrees than above oceans at about 0.9 degrees. I'm not sure about you, but I'm definitely considering buying a yacht at this rate. Between the last two recording periods, which were from 2003 to 2012 and from 2011 to 2020, we have gained almost 0.2 degrees of global average temperature, which is faster than any rate of warming observed in at least the last 2,000 years. The temperatures observed today are greater than those from the last warm period about 6,500 years ago. It is likely that they are also greater than those observed during the last interglacial, the next most recent candidate for a period of higher temperature, which takes back to 125,000 years ago. Let's now change our focus from the atmosphere to the cryosphere. As we recall, 3% of the heat accumulated on Earth due to anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions is absorbed by ice. Exposing ice to this much heat is a little bit like putting a vampire out on the beach at midday. If we compare the periods from 1979 to 1988 and from 2010 to 2019, the average surface of the Arctic sea ice in the month of September decreased by 40%, reaching its smallest area since at least 1850. The decrease in size of most glaciers on the planet over the same period is also the largest in at least the last thousand years.
The IPCC report deems it very likely that human influence has contributed to the observed surface melting of the Greenland ice sheet, which has been four times faster from 2010 to 2019 than from 1992 to 1999. Finally, regarding the Antarctic ice sheet, there is still, in the words of the report, limited evidence with the medium agreement of human influence on its mass loss. Before we continue, it's time for a riddle. What do we get when ice melts? 1. An ice cream stain 2. Thermal bath or 3. Water Correct! When ice sheets and glaciers melt, we get water. And this mass of water contributes to 42% of the sea level rise observed over the last 50 years. The other major contributor, responsible for another 50% of the sea level rise, is the thermal expansion of water. As a given mass of water is heated, its volume increases. In total, a sea level rise of 20 centimeters has occurred between 1901 and 2018. Once again, this rate has accelerated significantly in the last decades, rising from an average increase of 1.3 millimeter per year between 1901 to 1971 to 3.7 millimeter per year between 2006 and 2018. The sea level rise measured since 1900 is the fastest in at least the last 3,000 years. Let's head back to the 91% of additional heat absorbed by oceans. The direct consequence of this heat accumulation is that oceans have warmed up faster since 1900 than since the end of the last ice age, about 11,000 years ago. As we said before, oceans absorb some of the CO2 we release in the atmosphere, and this has an undesirable side effect. It increases the acidity of oceans. The IPCC report claims, with medium confidence, that such a high level of acidity in the oceans is unusual for the last 2 million years. This poses a critical threat to our marine biodiversity and ecosystems. Let's move from the quieter effects of climate change to the more turbulent ones. Our influence on the climate has affected the frequency and severity of extreme meteorological events. For example, hot extremes have become more frequent and more intense across more land regions since the 1950s. There is high confidence that human-induced climate change is the main driver of these changes. This is also the case for strong precipitations, particularly in northern Europe, forest fires, floods, and hurricanes. In addition to this, the moisture content of soils has decreased in certain regions, particularly in the outline of the Mediterranean Sea, the southern and western Africa, as well as the west coast of North America. That's it for a quick tour of the current state of the climate. But what about our possible climate futures? Due to past and future emissions, the changes we have observed in the climate system over the last decades will continue to evolve for the remainder of the 21st century and well beyond. The evolutions we will observe will be in the same direction as those we have already seen, thus increasing the likelihood of severe, generalized and irreversible impacts on our society and the ecosystems on which we depend. Regardless of what we do, the temperatures across the globe will continue to increase, 
at different rates. On average, the temperature above land will increase between 1.4 and 1.7 times more than above sea, and at least twice as much at the North Pole than elsewhere. Sea level rise and ocean acidification will also continue to increase. Heat waves, extreme precipitation events, and hurricanes will increase in frequency and intensity. At the same time, cold waves will become less frequent. New records of extreme climate events will surely be broken. The snow cover and permafrost will continue to melt and reduce, and the Arctic ice sheet will continue to withdraw, especially when comparing late summer seasons across years. In fact, it is likely for the Arctic to be practically ice-free in the month of September once before 2050, regardless of changes in our emissions. Climate change will also intensify the global water cycle. There will likely be more precipitation over land on average due to climate change. More rain on average does not, however, mean more rain at all points in time, nor in all regions of the world. Some regions, like the Mediterranean outline and several subtropical regions, will receive less rain in the future. Thanks to improved evidence since the fifth assessment report, we now understand that surface water flows and precipitation will also become more variable above most land regions, both across years and within seasons. Both dry and wet climatic events will become more intense, again with regional variations. On this topic, the IPCC has made available an interactive map allowing you to see what climate changes are projected to happen where, according to different global warming scenarios. You can find the link to the atlas in the podcast description. This sums up the main trends in climate change which are already underway and partly irreversible. Let's now take a closer look at the link between our future levels of emission and the way they will affect our climate. For temperatures and precipitations, the magnitude of future changes mainly depends on future greenhouse gas emissions levels, which themselves depend on our collective choices today. To model the future climate, the IPCC has defined five scenarios called SSP, short for Shared Socioeconomic Pathways. These SSP scenarios reflect different possible evolutions in population growth, economic growth, technological developments, and environmental politics. They represent possible futures ranging from an optimistic one, in which strong and immediate reductions in greenhouse gas emissions occur, to a catastrophe scenario, in which annual greenhouse gas emissions would triple by the end of the century, and three intermediate scenarios. These scenarios are then fed into models which simulate the evolution of the Earth's climate over decades. These are called global climate models. The IPCC stresses that there have been considerable improvements in the models used for this assessment report compared with the previous versions. What are the results? We'll see. First off, the elephant in the room, temperature. Due to the longevity of CO2 in the atmosphere, the temperature of the atmosphere will continue to increase at least at least 2050, regardless of what we do until then. 40% of all emitted CO2 will remain in the atmosphere, even after 100 years without any emissions. Even in the most optimistic scenario, the 1.5 degrees threshold will be reached, with a 50% chance of being crossed by 2040, 
in only 19 years from now. This is assuming a 20-year average temperature, so it's likely that a single year with more than 1.5 degrees of global warming will be recorded before 2040, possibly as early as 2025. This is the inertia aspect of the climate system, which makes it so unnerving and difficult to cope with. On the bright side, rapidly cutting our emissions can strongly limit the extent of global warming we will face by 2100. With the most optimistic scenario, global warming would be limited to between 1.4 and 1.8 degrees by the end of the century. With the intermediate SSPs, we would reach between 2.7 and 3.6 degrees of warming. And finally, with a catastrophe scenario, we would reach 4.4 degrees and above. In these last two cases, the 2 degrees threshold would be easily crossed before 2060. Okay, so 1 1.4, 1.8, 2.7, 3.6, 4.4 degrees. What do these numbers really tell us? As we discussed in a previous episode focusing on the difference between the impacts of a 1.5 and 2 degrees scenario, a difference of only 0.5 degrees would have dramatic consequences on our ecosystem. Here is an example. A heat spike which occurred once every 50 years 100 years ago is now occurring every 10 years, with roughly 1 degrees of global warming. With 1.5 degrees of warming, it would be every 5 years. With 2 degrees, it would be every 3 years and a half. With 4 degrees or more, it would be almost every year. If you enjoy barbecues, you will be in for quite a treat. It's also important to note another frustrating aspect of climate change. The warmer the Earth becomes, the less effective natural carbon sinks like oceans, vegetation, and soils become. This, in turn, accelerates warming, and the loop goes on and on. Secondly, let's come back to oceans and the cryosphere. What do their fates look like? One thing to keep in mind when discussing oceans and glaciers is that their inertia is much longer than that of the atmosphere. Even if we manage to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees by 2100, three major changes are irreversible over a human lifespan, and they all have to do with water. The acidification and warming of the oceans, the melting of ice caps, and sea level rise. Don't get us wrong. A rapid reduction in emissions can slow down and limit these changes, but they cannot stop them entirely. Whatever we do, global warming will have consequences over the next centuries and millennia. When it comes to the sea level rise, it should exceed current levels by 18 centimeters by 2050, regardless of what we do. Relative to the period from 1995 to 2014, by 2100, the increase in global average sea level will range from 20 centimeters to 1 meter, depending on the SSP scenario selected. Our actions and decisions will hence have a significant impact on the extent of sea level rise. After 2100, the sea level will continue to rise as the deep ocean warms up and the land ice melts. Over the next 2000 years, 1.5 degrees of global warming will cause a sea level rise of about 2 to 3 meters. These numbers match the data we have on sea levels during previous warm periods. If this may seem rather slow and harmless, let me assure you, it will not be. Due to the sea level rise, extreme sea level events that occurred once per century are projected to occur at least annually at more than half of all tide gouge locations by 2100. 
You will also be happy to hear that far more sudden rises cannot be excluded. In the worst case scenario, which, although it has a low likelihood, would have disastrous impacts, sea level rise could reach 2 meters by 2100 due to the partial collapse of the ice caps. Regional impacts on ecosystems and human society will become stronger and more numerous as global warming intensifies. All regions in the world will be impacted, although differently. At 1.5 degrees of global warming, extreme precipitation events and the floods they cause will be more frequent and more violent in many regions. The same goes for droughts, except for monsoon areas in Asia. At plus 2 degrees, the average precipitation in many regions is expected to increase, notably in northern Europe. The extent of urbanization also plays a role in this, as it can influence local rainfall patterns. Heat waves will be amplified in cities. For coastal cities, floodings will be even more frequent due to the combined effects of runoff and marine submersion, which is worsened by sea level rise and coastal erosion. Although they are unlikely to happen, certain events like the collapse of the Antarctic ice sheet or the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation could have major consequences on our society and ecosystems. These irreversible occurrences are known as tipping points. This is the first time the IPCC includes them in its analysis. Some tipping points could be reached during the 21st century. If we are unable to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees, the Amazon rainforest could disappear due to the combined effects of climate change and deforestation. Atlantic Oceanic Circulation, which includes the famous Gulf Stream, will certainly weaken throughout the 21st century, regardless of the future emission scenario. Although a collapse of this circulation is relatively unlikely before 2100, it would cause abrupt meteorological changes and disrupt the water cycle at a global scale. Tropical rains would shift southward. African and Asian monsoons would weaken, whilst those in the southern hemisphere would strengthen, and Europe would become drier. Let's come back to what the report tells us on the link between emissions and global warming. It reaffirms, with no room for doubt, that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees in 2100, which is the goal of the Paris Agreement, is impossible without a strong and immediate reduction in our emissions, followed by a net elimination of some of the CO2 present in the atmosphere. There is a nearly linear relationship between the amount of accumulated greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and the resulting extent of global warming. Every thousand additional gigaton of CO2 we emit raises the global average temperature by about 0.45 degrees. Limiting global warming hence means respecting a strict and defined carbon budget. It's a bit like New Year resolutions after overindulging ourselves with delicious food over the Christmas holidays. Here are a few numbers to illustrate the current state of our carbon expenditures and remaining budget. Between 8050 and 2019, humanity has collectively emitted about 2,390 gigatons of CO2, with 64% of this being due to fossil fuels, a figure which climbs to 86% when looking at recent years. As of 2020, we had about 500 gigatons of CO2 left in our budget for a global warming of 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. 
at the current rate of emissions, this will be exhausted by 2032. If we look at a two degrees pathway, then our global carbon budget is nearly three times this amount at 1,350 gigatons of CO2. What's left, of course, is to devise and implement a pathway to carbon neutrality. In addition to reducing our emissions at the source, we need to find ways to eliminate the CO2 already present in our atmosphere. Several solutions are being explored, including the conservation of natural carbon sinks, such as vegetation and soils, and the capture and storage of carbon. However, they may still be experimental at this stage and not necessarily deployable at a scale sufficient for our needs. The IPCC is planning to provide insights on the solutions and their implementation pathways next year in the report from Working Group 3 on the mitigation of climate change. To conclude this summary of a summary, we would like to reiterate the four main points made by this report. First, the impact of human society on climate change is unequivocal. Secondly, the climate that current and future generations will face is determined by our emissions and actions today. A rapid reduction of our emissions will limit and minimize the effects of climate change. Thirdly, in the opposite scenario, continuing to increase our greenhouse gas emissions year on year will lead to more frequent, varied, and intense catastrophes, which will progressively affect every region of the world, and for which we are not prepared. Finally, some of the changes triggered by climate change will develop over centuries or millennia. Our actions today have consequences for many, many generations to come. In this episode, we have put forward the main points of the first volume of the IPCC's sixth assessment report on the underlying physics of climate change. In 2022, two subsequent reports will be published, one on the consequences of climate change, our vulnerabilities to it and means of adaptation, and the other on climate change mitigation strategies. Make sure to stay alert for their publication. In the meantime, we recommend that you read the 42-page Summary for Policymakers, which is written using an accessible language targeting people with a non-scientific background. If you feel brave, you could also have a go at reading the full report. The links to all the sources mentioned in this episode can be found in the podcast description. This podcast was produced by The Shifters, volunteers supporting The Shift Project. The Shift Project is a French think tank advocating the shift to a post-carbon economy. Stay tuned for more shifts.